I love Sundays. I love Sundays. I love Sundays. You may not understand it now. You may not fully understand it now. But Sundays can actually make an eternal difference in your life. But Sundays can make an eternal difference in your life and others. Sundays are when I feel like I'm part of God's family. Sundays are the best. Sundays are when I really feel I'm a part of God's family. When I go to church, I know I am where I belong. I look forward to Sunday all week. I love Sundays because of the church I belong to. Every week, I see God at work changing people's lives, and I love getting to be a part of that. I love Sundays because it was at church on a Sunday 10 years ago when I realized how much Christ loves me, and I became a follower of Christ. I love that I get to be a part of that. I love Sundays. I love Sundays that we rented a trailer in the back lot of Berean Baptist Church in the summer of 1976 in Junior Church. Uh, a Sunday that changed my eternity. That's what we're talking about today in our I Love Sundays. Sundays can change your eternity. We've been learning these days how to make Sunday the best day of our week. Three weeks ago, we learned that God designed us for Sundays. Two weeks ago, we learned that honoring the Sabbath principle in our lives completely changes our focus and attitude on Monday through Saturday. Last week, we learned how God uses Sundays to help us build better families. This morning, I want to talk with you about that most amazing truth, how Sundays can change your eternity For the past three weeks, we've been talking about getting our lives back in order through resting and refueling and refocusing our priorities in God by participating in church on Sundays. What we haven't talked about is why. Why is this whole church experience so powerful? You know, there are many, many good reasons to go to church. But what's the number one reason? Why come to church? Why do we meet on Sundays? It's amazing how simple and yet how incomprehensible the answer is. It's amazing how big, how awesome, how glorious the answer is. It's amazing how personal, how intimate, how special the answer is. Why? Why church? Why Sundays? The answer is one word. Jesus. Jesus. See, Jesus, all who he is, all that he has done, all that he is doing, Jesus is the number one reason why we gather here this morning. Today I want to talk with you about Jesus, the Savior of our souls, the Lord of our life. Today I want to give a short biography of Jesus and his mission. Today we're going to tell the story of Jesus through God's Word, and also through some great hymns. So if you've looked at your sermon notes today, you will recognize that each point is also a hymn. So one of the things that we love about Sundays, about worshiping our God, is that we get to do that through song, and we get to do that together. So when we get to each point of the sermon, we're going to sing together a verse or two of each of these hymns. So today, not only are we going to hear the story of Jesus, today we're going to sing the story 
of Jesus. Let's pray together. Father, we pray that in these few moments here, that Jesus Christ would be glorified, that his name would be lifted up. Lord, that that as he now, as Jesus now, as you look upon us now, that you would find this to be exciting and acceptable worship to you. Amen. Well, glory to the newborn king. The story of Jesus starts like none other. You know, we know the story well, but the impact of the truth still strikes us every year at Christmas time. So turn in your Bibles with me to Mark, excuse me, to Matthew chapter 1. To Matthew chapter 1, starting at verse 18. It says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. As he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from his sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. We love that story. What a great story. Jesus' birth, this miraculous conception brought about by the Holy Spirit, as predicted by the Old Testament prophet hundreds of years earlier in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, and quoted here for us in Matthew. These verses tell us very clearly Jesus' purpose from the first moment of his announcement by the angels. Jesus had come to save his people from their sins. You see, Christmas is not about this God who is far away. Christmas is not about this God who is over there. No, Christmas is about a God who is with us. Emmanuel, our Jesus. The great story of our redemption starts in a manger. The great story of our salvation starts with the miraculous birth of a baby boy. Or does it? Well, you know, not really. The great story of Jesus starts long before his birth. See, John chapter 1, verse 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And in verse 14 of that same chapter, it says, And the Word, Jesus, became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as the one and only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. See, the great story of Christmas isn't really about the birth of a baby boy. But it's about the incarnation of the eternal God becoming flesh. 
dwelling among us. Emmanuel, full of glory and grace and truth. Our Jesus, the divine, eternal, second person of the Trinity, came to this earth in the fullness of time, being born in the likeness of men. God has come to save his creation. Let's sing together the first verse of Hark the Herald Angels Sing. The herald angels sing Glory to the newborn King Peace on earth and mercy mild God and sinners reconciled Joyful all ye nations rise Join the triumph of the skies with angelic hosts proclaim, Christ is born in Bethlehem. Hark the herald angels sing, Glory to the newborn King. That is awesome. Can't you wait? Just a few weeks we get to sing all those great Christmas songs. Well, our second point today is that Jesus paid it all. Lead me to Calvary. You see, our amazing Savior was born to die. On the night Christ was born, just before break of morn, as the stars in the sky were fading, or the place where he lay fell a shadow, cold and gray, of a cross that would humble a king, born to die on Calvary, Jesus suffered my sin to forgive. Born to die on Calvary, he was wounded that I might live. See, Christ's death was not an accident. Christ's crucifixion was not some political manipulation by the Jewish religious leaders. No, Christ's sacrificial death on the cross was God's plan from eternity past, before the very foundations of the earth, to bring about the redemption of mankind, of you and of me. Did you know that the four Gospels spend about 40% of their written texts talking about the final week of Jesus' life? Jesus lived 33 years. Jesus' ministry lasted three years. And yet one week, the final week of Jesus' life, gets 40% of the material in the Gospels. Why? Because the point, the purpose, the mission, the calling of Jesus was to give his life as a ransom for mankind. He was miraculously born. He lived a sinless, selfless, loving life, only to be rejected and scorned and falsely accused and beaten. And with the full power to stop it all, he instead freely and willingly gave his life as a ransom, paying the price of the sin of mankind, being the only acceptable sacrifice for sin. He died on a cross. 2 Corinthians 2.21 puts it this way, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, 
so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Turn, if you'd like to, to Mark chapter 15. Mark chapter 15. As we just let the power of God's word sweep over us as we read the story, the account of Jesus' crucifixion, starting at verse 16 of Mark chapter 15. And the soldiers led him away inside the palace, that is, the governor's headquarters. And they called together the whole battalion, and they clothed him in a purple cloak, and twisted together a crown of thorns, and they put it on him. And they began to salute him, Hail, King of the Jews! They were striking his head with a reed, and spitting on him, and kneeling down in homage to him. And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of the purple cloak and put his own clothes on him, and they led him out to crucify him. And they compelled a passerby, Simon of Cyrene, who was coming in from the country, the father of Alexander and Rufus, to carry his cross. And they brought him to the place called Golgotha, which means the place of a skull. And they offered him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. And they crucified him. They divided his garments among them, casting lots for them and to decide what each should take. And in the third hour, when they crucified him, and the inscription of the charge against him read, The king of the Jews. And with him they crucified two robbers, one on the right and one on his left. And those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, Ah, you who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself and come down from the cross. So also the chief priests with the scribes mocked him one to another, saying, He saved others. He cannot save himself. Let the Christ, the God of Israel, come down from the cross that we may see and believe. Those who were crucified with him also reviled him. And when the sixth hour had come, there were darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lemma sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders hearing it said, behold, he's calling Elijah. And someone ran and filled a sponge with sour wine and put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink, saying, wait. Let's see whether Elijah will come to take him down. And Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion who stood facing him saw that in this way he breathed his last, he said, truly, this man was the son of of God. Truly, this man was the Son of God. As we hear those words, as we hear that, our hearts cry out within us, don't they? Truly, this man, our Jesus, our Savior, truly, this man is the Son of God. Let's all sing together. Lead me to Calvary. King of my life, I crown thee now, thine shall the glory be. 
lest I forget thy thorn-crowned brow, lead me to Calvary. Lest I forget Gethsemane, lest I forget thine agony, lest I forget thy love for me, lead me to Calvary. But here's the best news, folks, right? The best news ever given to mankind. You can search your whole life. You will never find a grave in Israel with Jesus' name on it. Because he rose. He arose. Hallelujah. Christ arose. The resurrection of Jesus from the dead is the watershed moment of all of earth's history. Luke 24 says, But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared, and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their heads to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead. He is not here. He has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men to be crucified and then on the third day rise. And they remembered his words and returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. See, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is God's seal of approval. It's God's vindication. It's God's proof that what Jesus did three days earlier on the cross was real, was powerful, was accepted, and was efficacious for our sins. The whole reason we meet on Sundays is because it was on that first morning of that week there. It was Sunday morning that Jesus rose from the dead in victory over sin and Satan and death. We meet together on Sundays as a constant memorial to the reality, to the power, to the importance of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. As the Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, if Jesus is in some grave somewhere, then our faith is useless. But hear this, folks. He's not. He has risen just as he said. Let's sing together, Christ Arose. my Savior, waiting the coming day, Jesus my Lord. Up from the grave He arose, with a mighty triumph for His foes. 
He arose the victor from the dark domain, and He lives forever with the saints to reign. He arose, He arose, hallelujah, Christ arose. Vainly they watch His bed, Jesus, my Savior, vainly they seal the dead, Jesus, my Lord. Up from the grave he arose, with a mighty triumph for his foes. He arose a victor from the dark domain, and he lives forever with the saints to reign. He arose, he arose, hallelujah, Christ arose. Amen. That is awesome. You see, it's the substitutionary death, and the vindicating resurrection that saves us, that saves me just as I am. Romans 10, 9 and 10 says, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. See, these verses clearly tell us how one is saved, how one becomes a child of God. We must do two things, this verse tells us. Confess and believe. To confess Jesus means to declare Him as your Lord, to invite Him into your life, to live in and through you as Jesus, living in and through you as your Lord and Savior. To believe in Jesus means that you trust You put your full trust and faith that Jesus is the very Son of God who came to this earth, who died, and who rose again for the forgiveness of your sins. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 5.8 tells us that God loved us so, so much that when while we were still in our sin, Christ Jesus came to die for us. Romans 3.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ. And John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only, his begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. You see, our sins on this earth earn death. A permanent separation from God. It is only through the free gift of God, Jesus Christ Himself as the gift, that we can have life, that we can have eternal life. So here's the question of the morning. Here's actually the question of our lives. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? Think about that together as we sing, Just As I Am.
Just as I am. You see, Sundays can change your eternity. Right now, this very Sunday can change your eternity. I wonder how many of you right now would say, you know, I've never confessed Jesus as the Lord and Savior of my life. I've never put my trust in Jesus for the forgiveness of my sins. I don't know if I'm a child of God but I'd like to become one today. When you confess and believe all those sins that have separated us from God, it's covered by Jesus' payment on our behalf. In just a moment here now, I'm going to invite you to pray a simple prayer that, that you can use as you pray from your heart to inaugurate your relationship with God, and He'll give you eternal life. So if this is something you'd like to do, then come to him just as you are and pray this prayer from your heart right now, quietly to yourselves. I'll pray one line. You repeat from your heart to God's heart. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I confess you as my Lord. I admit I'm a sinner in need of a Savior, and I believe that Jesus died and rose again. To forgive my sins. Come into my life. And live through me. And I will live for you. For the rest of my life. In Jesus name. Amen. Now everyone take a moment. Let's just talk about this. If you prayed that prayer. Right now. From your heart to Jesus, there's one critically important thing that I want you to do today. Very important. Tell me. Tell me. Before you leave today, that I prayed that prayer. And tell the other people in your life as well. Tell them. You see, so many of us can tell you about the Sunday that changed our eternity too. The Bible says that whenever one sinner comes to the Savior, the angels in heaven rejoice. And so also we, we are rejoicing in our hearts with you 
right now. Peter in Acts 4.12 says, There is salvation in no one else, for there is no name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Jesus saves. The truth of our salvation in Jesus is so precious to us. The gospel is the good news, the good news that the entire world needs to hear, the good news that every human needs to hear. And God has a plan for that to happen. His plan is to have those who already know him to tell others about him. Matthew 28, 18-20, commonly called the Great Commission, which I like to call the Great Directive, is the mission statement of our lives, of our church. Jesus said to them, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the very end of the age. Go, make disciples of all people, baptizing and teaching them. These are our simple, straightforward marching orders from our Lord. See, the story of Jesus' life doesn't end with his ascension into, the, into heaven in Acts chapter 1. Jesus, right now, is active. Right now, he is moving on this earth through his Holy Spirit, building his church. What did Jesus say in Matthew chapter 16? I will build my church. Jesus is not sitting at the right hand of the Father in heaven, just waiting around to come back again. No, he is actively right now working his purposes on earth through his church. He is building his church. Colossians 1.18 says that Jesus is the head of the body of the church. The Apostle Paul, addressing the church in Corinth, says in 1 Corinthians 12.27, Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. You see, church, we together are the body of Christ. We are so closely uh, aligned to him. We are to be so closely aligned with him and his goals, with his purpose, with his love. That the very actions we do as a church, the very actions we do as individual members of the body, are supposed to be as if Jesus himself is doing them. We're to be his arms, reaching out to help and serve our community. We're to be his feet, going forth with the message of the gospel. We're to be his mouth, speaking the truth in love. He is the head of the body, the church, us. Today, Jesus is building his church through his church, you and me. So how are we doing? How are we doing on being his hands and feet in this world? How are you doing as an individual member of the body of Christ representing Jesus to your world? Well, let's sing together. Jesus saves. Jesus saves. have heard the joyful sound. Jesus saves, Jesus saves. Spread the tidings all around. Jesus saves, Jesus saves. Bear the news to every land. Climb the mountains, cross the waves. Onward is our Lord's command. 
Our great Savior, who humbled himself with a substitutionary death on the cross, who powerfully rose from the dead, who now offers salvation full and free to anyone and everyone, will one day arise from his throne and come back to this earth in power, in judgment, to reign and to rule. Our Jesus is coming again. Maranatha, even so come, Lord Jesus. Titus 2.13 says that we are waiting for the blessed hope, the appearing of our Lord and great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. 1 Thessalonians 4.13-18 says, But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died, and rose again. Even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from our Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of our Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so, we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Beloved, you guys want some encouragement this morning? Jesus is coming again. Jesus is coming again. He's going to destroy the curse of sin. He's going to condemn Satan. He's going to establish his kingdom and reign with justice and holiness and power. Jesus is coming again. Let's sing together. Jesus is coming again. Marvelous message we bring. Glorious carol we sing, wonderful words of the King, Jesus is coming again, coming again, coming again, maybe morning, maybe noon, maybe evening and maybe soon, coming again. Coming again. Oh, what a wonderful day it will be. Jesus is coming again. Amen. Even so come, Lord Jesus. So, folks, on this day, as we celebrate the life of Jesus, our Lord and our Savior, let each of us here this morning renew our commitment to him. How would you live your life today as a committed follower of Christ if you knew Jesus was coming back tomorrow? If we knew that Jesus was coming back tomorrow, what would change in the way you lived your life today? What would your priorities be? What would be your focus? Well, God, in his infinite wisdom, knew that, you know, he knew that if he gave us a specific date, because of our sinful tendencies, we would live selfishly. 
right up until the day before he came, and then we'd clean up our act. God knew that if left to ourselves, we would choose ourselves over him. So he graciously helps us to keep our focus on him, to keep our priorities on his priorities, on what is most important through the truth of the imminent, any moment, return of Jesus Christ. Maybe morning, maybe noon, maybe evening, maybe soon. That is real. The challenge for us is to live all of our days, to live all of our life in and through Jesus for him and for his goals, as if today is the day he's coming back. Are you living for him? What changes do you need to make? Perhaps you've made some pretty poor decisions lately. You know, perhaps you need more than to live your life today with the end in mind. Perhaps you need more than to renew your commitment, your spiritual life needs to be revived. Your commitment to Christ is weak or broken. You have a choice. You can leave here today and do absolutely nothing about it. Or you can call upon the grace and forgiveness of Christ. And your love and your commitment to following Christ can be revived. Your spiritual life can come back to life. You see, Sundays can change your eternity right now This Sunday, new life, forgiveness, hope, renewal, salvation, all here for you this Sunday, every Sunday. Father, we thank you for the power of our Savior, the message of our Jesus, of his life, of his death, his resurrection, of his mission. He's coming again. Lord, we pray today would be a day where we take that more seriously than we ever have. Well, today, if you need to make a decision for Christ, any decision for Christ, if you prayed that prayer for the first time for your salvation, if today you want to renew your commitment to Christ, If today you want to revive, to bring back to life your spiritual life, please come forward this morning as we sing together. Only one life to offer.